Hey all, and welcome to The Boom. We're Atlanta's hub for creators and gig workers, as well as the fans of TV and film. So today's episode is diving into the tentative agreement between the Actors Union and major studios. After 118 days, the strike is over. And we finally have some details about the agreement between the two parties. Artificial intelligence continues to be at the forefront of conversations about the contract, but so do deal points about healthcare, self-taping, and more. We released a bonus episode earlier this week, touching on this briefly, and today you can hear my full conversation with Sean Sharma. He's a local and national board member for the Actors Union. From WABE, this is The Boom. I'm your host, Jewel Wicker. At a time when information continues to come at us faster and faster, sometimes you need to hit pause and rewind. NPR's Throughline takes you back in time to the source of the news stories filling your feed. Find NPR's Throughline wherever you get your podcasts. You love free, and at Ameris Bank, so do we. That's why we're proud to offer worry-free, hassle-free Ameris Bank free checking. Manage your money your way with convenient access to digital, mobile, and telephone banking, all with no monthly service fee or minimum balance requirements. At Ameris Bank, we're with you. For more information or to open an account, visit our local bankers in person or online at amerisbank.com slash free checking. Other fees such as overdraft fees may apply. Ameris Bank, member FDIC, equal housing lender. Voting on the tentative agreement reached between SAG-AFTRA and the AMPTP has begun. The Actors Union met via Zoom earlier this week to discuss specifics of the contract for members who needed more details before making an informed vote. More than a thousand questions were submitted ahead of that discussion, and union leaders addressed recent criticisms regarding the artificial intelligence protections that are included in the agreement. We'll hear more about some of those criticisms from today's guest later on in the episode, but the union says it has achieved the best protections possible during negotiations. SAC's chief negotiator, Duncan Crabtree Ireland, said, quote, There are some aspects of this agreement that aren't perfect. This negotiating team fought so hard to get the best possible protections in artificial intelligence. We all play our hand. This hand that we have played from our perspective achieves what we set out, end quote. With the strike over, you can expect a few productions to return to work ASAP. Shows such as Will Trent and Hysteria are set to begin productions locally in early December, according to a Deadline report. As of this weekend, you can stream Maxine's Baby, the Tyler Perry story on Amazon Prime. The production will explore how Perry overcame childhood trauma to become a film and TV mogul. The documentary is named after Perry's mother, Maxine, who was the partial influence for his famous character, Medea. All right, after a quick break, we'll speak with Sean Sharma. He's on SAG's national board and was an alternate on the negotiating committee during the recent talks between the Actors Union and the AMPTP. So, 
Support for WABE comes from 100 Miles, a nonprofit committed to preserving Georgia's 100-mile coast. A landscape unlike any other, Georgia's coast is home to vital communities and people from all walks of life fighting to protect it. Help keep Georgia's coast flowing at OurGeorgiaCoast.org. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. As you probably know, the actor strike ended last week. And with the news that a TV theatrical streaming agreement was finally reached between SAG-AFTRA and the AMPTP. After news of the agreement was announced on November 8th, the SAG-AFTRA board quickly ratified the contract two days later. The agreement now goes for vote and ratification by the union's membership. We wanted to learn more about how this deal was reached, as well as the details of the contract. So I'm happy to welcome in Sean Sharma. He's the national and local board member with SAG-AFTRA. He was a member of the negotiating committee who reached the agreement with the AMPTP, and he currently stars on the TV series The Chosen. Sean, thank you so much uh, for joining us, and welcome to The Boom. I'm very happy to be here. Thanks for the invitation. Tell us a little bit about your role in uh, SAG-AFTRA's national and local. You know, you're you're a member of both, and and I'm curious what that looks like, uh, especially during strikes and and negotiations. Yeah, I mean, I've been a local board member for the Los Angeles local since 2017, and I've been serving on the national board level as an alternate since 2017, so I've been at just about every national board meeting. But uh, I was actually elected to a four-year national board seat in this most latest election, so now I have a four-year board seat of my own on the national level. The Los Angeles local board has limited authority just over what the Los Angeles local does, which is, you know, basically 85,000 of our 175,000 members are in Los Angeles, um, and that's one of three locals in California. There's the San Francisco, Northern California local that is up past like uh, Santa Barbara, and then there's the San Diego local that is down past Orange County. But half of our membership is here in the Los Angeles local. On the national board level, I participate on uh, governance of our union as a whole from you know coast to coast and worldwide. This strike was an historic 118 days, and I'm sure you're delighted that, you know, actors can now get back to work. Uh, can you share any insight into why, you know, the strike lasted for 118 days, this kind of historic uh, length of time? And what were some of the main obstacles kind of to reaching the agreement that you guys now have? Yeah, well, you know, 118 days is obviously 118 days longer than you would want to have to be on strike. Nobody wants to go on strike, and it's really, to me, disappointing that the way our relationship is with our employers, and not just in our industry, but in every industry, where at some point you have been so squeezed and the ability to make a living has been so diminished that you literally have to stop the industry. You have to stop the company from continuing to operate. It's really our only leverage is to shut things down. So I wish we wouldn't have to go on strike to be treated with 
the kind of respect that we need. So when it came to the end of the five-week negotiation process we had with the AMPTP back in June and early July, when we hadn't achieved even a minimum of what we could take back to our members, mostly because I think the AMPTP just was not taking us seriously for those first five weeks, we really had no choice but to wake them up and go out on strike. And the Writers Guild was already on strike at the time. And so um, we were able to join them on their picket lines and they joined us on mm -hmm. ours. And uh, hopefully we had a uh, helpful impact on their strike resolution. And of course, the entire sister uh, union uh, community and entertainment had our back through um, all 118 days. The key issues that we had to fight for that we publicized were revenue share, basic minimum wages, audition protections, uh, increase in streaming residuals, uh, pension and health caps. Those were all some of the big issues that uh, we had to get resolved. And then the biggest issue perhaps of all of them is just the artificial intelligence protections because AI came out of really nowhere and now it is rapidly uh, improving and we don't know where the technology is going to be a year or two or three or four or five from now and so it's essential that in this moment that we got guardrails around being replaced by artificial intelligence. I want to talk about a few of these things, too, so I'm glad you, you brought them up. Uh, and let's start with, I think we want to start with self-taping, right? Because we're here in Atlanta, and a lot of uh, people have, you know, actors have been doing that here. Um, what are some of those protections? What would that look like? There are so many. And first, I, you know, being in Atlanta, I want to give a special shout-out to the Atlanta local president, Eric Goins, who mm -hmm. is just a phenomenal representative of the Atlanta membership and of the members as a whole of the union. So a lot of love and respect for Eric. So obviously, when you are auditioning for a project in person, you're going to a location, there's a level playing field, you're reading with a casting director or an assistant or a reader. They're capturing you on camera if that's part of the process. They're editing it. They're the ones who are who have the equipment and the lighting and all of that. And hopefully they're the location where you're going to audition is reasonably quiet so that you can do your work in peace and uh, focus. Just that change of you do it versus the production did it just rolls out a cascading effect of stress, of cost, of, of inequity, because not everybody has the same living situation or resources at their disposal. So what we really went to fight for was to improve the working conditions that we're now forced to do in our homes for these companies when they commission an audition from us. And so some of the protections that we secured are at least a basic turnaround time where before they could give you a self-taped audition at, in the morning and say it's due in the evening. Or they could say I you see. can get an audition request in the evening and say it's due tomorrow. And people had to you know, shut down their whole lives and cancel everything and try to freak out and figure out how to get it done, how to find a reader, how to you know, disassemble their house to be able to set up for the audition, whatever. And so we were able to secure two really important protections. One is that it's a 48-hour turnaround. So if you get an audition on a Monday morning, the earliest it can be due is Wednesday morning. So you get two full days to be able to respond to that audition request. But we also got weekends and holidays cannot be part of that 48-hour turnaround. So if you get an audition request on a Friday night, the earliest it can be due is Tuesday night. So you have Monday and Tuesday to do your self-tape. Now what that does 
is it means that you can do it on the weekend if that's more convenient for you, but you don't have to if your weekend is for rest and family and other right. obligations. And so uh, we just gave our members back 110-ish days a year that they don't have to work if they don't want to, and that should have a really big impact on our members' stress and mental health and that kind of thing. Now we established basic minimum standards that they can't ask you to go buy 4K cameras and use expensive mics and different backgrounds and all of that. So it levels the playing field for that and makes it less burdensome. Um, we now have an eight-page limit for a first-round audition, so they can't send you 20 pages, 15 pages, 12 pages for a first-round self-tape. It's limited to eight. And uh, you now have the option to request an in-person or virtual audition. It's up to the casting department whether it's going to be virtual or whether it's going to be in person. But for anybody who doesn't have somebody to read with, for somebody who's bad with technology, somebody who prefers to interact with the casting director or associate or assistant or the you know, whoever's capturing the audition, which is a huge problem because when you send all these self-tapes in, you don't know if they're being watched, you don't know how long they're being watched. So having the opportunity to actually interact with the casting person again, even if it's virtually, but maybe even in person, is a huge, huge uh, restoration of the relationship between the casting community and the performers. And so those are a handful of the protections yeah. that we have been able to achieve. Thank you so much for explaining that. And then the, the other two that I, you know, and obviously not expecting you to kind of go through everything, but when people are thinking about the protections against AI and specifically the shared revenue streaming for, for streaming services. Uh, what are some of the key points that you think people should know about in terms of those two things? Yeah, well, and in, and just to be, you know, in full disclosure, you know, the negotiating committee, uh, as is publicly being stated out there, voted unanimously to re recommend this deal to the national board. But what people don't understand is that the negotiating committee is made up of three different types of members, voting members, alternates, and the bullpen. So only voting members get to vote. If if, okay. if I had had it, I'm an alternate on it, so that means I get to participate just like any other member, but I don't get to vote unless I'm taking the place of an absent voting member. So I would have voted no in the room if I could have. And I am a national board member. So then when on Friday we had a national board meeting about this contract, it, w it passed by 86 to 14%. I was in the 14% that voted no. And the AI protections are one of the main reasons that I voted no. You know, obviously, it's so important for us to protect ourselves from being replaced by artificial intelligence. One of the ways that that could happen is by the employers using what's called a digital replica. And so that means that they mm -hmm. either scan you when you're working on a movie or a show for them. They, they scan you. They get a sample of your voice, all of that. And then they can literally use a digital replica that may be indistinguishable from you as the real human being in other scenes or parts of the movie or the show. They can do that to background performers where they can scan the background performer and then use that replica instead of the background performer in scenes and parts of the show or film. Um, they can also do what's called an independently created digital replica where they don't actually have to scan you. They just use previous footage of you, audio samples of you, photos of you, and they independently create it without having to take up your time coming in and being scanned. And then there's a whole nother aspect of this called a synthetic performer, which is where it's not based on any real natural human being. It's a completely you know, generated mm -hmm. synthetic human-like object. 
And they, the way they create it is with what's called generative AI. Many of you may be aware of Midjourney or Dolly or these different platforms where you just put in a prompt like, you know, a East Indian man in his 40s and it will go through all of the Indian men images on the planet and it will construct a Indian man image. And so, but that image couldn't have been created unless it was fed all of the photos of other Indian men. That's how it knows how to create something that's similar. And so one of the concerns that we, we have as a, as a, you know, just as humanity, but also as actors, is that they'll just create synthetic performers that look like, you know, humans, but those are taking jobs away from real actors. And so there are something like 14 pages now of these AI regulations in the contract as it stands. And some of us uh, on the negotiating committee and on the board uh, were comfortable with the protections that were achieved. Um, and others of us were absolutely not comfortable with what was achieved. And with something like AI, also with how quickly the technology is advancing, mm -hmm. we may not get another chance to get it right three years from now. Now is the time to get it right, especially when we were on strike, was the time when we had maximum leverage. And also before this technology matures, before it's common practice for all of these companies to do all of this stuff. So, you know, from my personal opinion, uh, we left some big loopholes in the AI protections that I'm not comfortable recommending to the membership. But, you know, obviously our staff and the majority of our national board and negotiating committee, they feel otherwise. And so, you know, I'm erring on the side of caution and they're trusting that what we have is enough. As for streaming, this is how it works. What we accomplished was what's called a streaming bonus. And it's patterned on what the WGA got in their negotiations. So it isn't the 2% of revenue share of all of the streaming platforms. Uh, it isn't even the 1% that was the 57 cents per subscriber a year that we pivoted to in the negotiations. It is now a estimated $40 million a year based on if certain shows like in the past uh, are watched by more than 20% of the domestic subscribers of a streaming platform. The bonus only applies to shows that were made for streaming. For, so any other shows that were moved over from TV or that were moved over from cable. Um, for example, it's been popularized that Suits is, is you know, yeah. doing really well. That's not going to benefit from this bonus because it was already made for television and cable and now okay. it's moved over. So it only applies to made for streaming shows, mm. kind of like a Stranger Things, like a Netflix original or that kind of a thing. The final terms of it are that 75% of that bonus will go to the cast of those shows. 25% of that bonus will go into a new fund that's going to be created where the trustees of that fund are going to decide how to distribute it. And so nobody knows how those funds are going to be distributed. And also there's going to be an administrative cost for the fund to operate. So that will also right. be deducted from th that money. And also the pension and health contributions that are made on that bonus are going to be taken out of the bonus as well as opposed to paid on top. So the 40 million gets reduced to about 32 million, which then 75% of it goes to the cast, which leaves about 8 million to be distributed amongst the members, which 8 million is low for an A-lister salary for one movie. Like, so it's, we're not talking a lot of money here that is going to be spread amongst the membership. Obviously, there's the potential to negotiate better bonuses for the future, that it does open up a new source of revenue. But the promise that I feel was made to the membership when we went out on strike 
and even when we went to negotiate, was that we were going to make acting in the streaming era sustainable again, that we were going to meaningfully participate in the revenue that has been made off of our labor over the last 14 years. And it's up to the members to decide whether $8 million a year for them is worth it. You know, I think that's a question that I have is like, especially when you have a strike and, you know, you're you're thinking about your members and how long they've been on strike, but you also don't want to end the strike prematurely if you haven't, you know, gotten everything that you need. So I think specifically for you as a board member, when you're thinking about these things and, you know, you're saying I'm not too comfortable with this or this is something I'm comfortable with, what is the weight for you uh, as you're deciding and you're looking through kind of uh, proposed agreements of what you think is enough protection and, okay, I feel comfortable we can move forward with this and what's not? Yeah, well, you know, if you, something like, like being replaced by AI, the ramifications of getting it wrong are, are existential. So what you want to do with something like that is you want to lock it up tight, like building a safe around being a human performer with a career in acting. And you can build the strongest safe, but if you leave the combination on the top, or if you leave the door cracked open, or if it isn't sealed tight, then people can get into it and you're really not safe. So it doesn't even really matter how protected you are by the rest of the structure if it's still vulnerable to being invaded. And so the question that every board member and negotiating committee member and every member of our union now has to evaluate is whether that our protection against being replaced by AI, it it displacing not only actors, but singers, dancers, stunt performers, and background actors, whether we left cracks in the safe that will essentially make our protections meaningless. So what's next? Because ratification uh, uh, from the union is what I think is coming up. What does that look like? Well, it to me is uh, an incredible uh, responsibility of the membership to be the final you know, arbiters of whether we approve this or not. You know, you've got 17 voting members of the negotiating committee who did their best. And then you have the national board who voted to recommend it. Um, from my own participation in the national board meeting, there wasn't enough time for the national board members to study and learn what it was that they were recommending. So my concern is that the national board is recommending a deal to its members that they don't understand. And I'm sure if all of our members around the country ask their national board members for detailed explanations of what is in this contract, they will be unable to explain it to their members. That is red flag like huge red flag, number one. So the members now have a duty to make sure we're not making a mistake. I don't see the member ratification process as a formality or a simple perfunctory part of the process. I think it's up to the hive mind now to read through all of the details and catch us if we got something wrong so that we don't you know, make a critical error that we're stuck with for the next three critical years. So for me, the member ratification process, I'm so glad it exists because it's really up to our members now to make the final decision. What is your advice to members who have not been a part of this process, right? They haven't been sitting in the room with you all mm-hmm. and they are now getting this agreement where they have to make a vote and they have to make a decision and maybe they haven't had all these talks and they don't have a lot of experience knowing kind of what some, you know, some of the more um, granular details of these things might mean. What is your advice to them or what are you thinking they should be considering and doing right now as they are going through this agreement so that they can make the best informed uh, decision and vote? No, that's a great question. I, I mean, obviously, our 
current TV theatrical contract is about 800 pages long. And our television agreement is about 400 pages long. And then what we accomplished in 2017 and 2020 is about another 120 pages that you'd have to read on top of that. And then what we have just uh, arrived at with this tentative agreement is a very comprehensive uh, package that is going to be about 120 pages itself. So I want our members to give themselves some grace that if they haven't already been studying this stuff for years, it's going to be really hard for them to understand absolutely everything, and they shouldn't feel bad about that. But what they should do is realize that their careers are potentially at stake for not understanding some of these items. And so I would prioritize. I would prioritize AI. I would prioritize the parts of this that really affect them and, uh, and make sure they ask the questions, ask their leadership, come to the town halls, come to the webinars, and make sure they ask those questions, to not be afraid to speak their minds and express concerns, to don't feel any pressure to vote one way or the other. Um, I think we need to all as equals look at the language for ourselves and try our best to understand it. Um, and it's a little daunting, but this is a great educational and awakening opportunity for our members too, that if you haven't been engaged before, then now's, now's the time to get involved and to stay involved because uh, the stakes are higher than ever. You know, this has been a lot for you, I'm sure. And I'm curious if you've had time to reflect on kind of what this experience means for the industry outside of the contract itself. Like, how do you feel that this strike has changed uh, anything about the industry? And what have you learned uh, during this time? Well, I want to make sure this is crystal clear for anybody who's listening to this. This strike made us stronger undeniably. This strike was absolutely worthwhile. If we had signed the agreement as it stood in July, we would be totally unsafe as opposed to being arguably, if, if people are comfortable with the AI protections, fairly safe. But we also got a lot more in terms of economic uh, gains right. as a result of going on strike as well. So our union is stronger for this process. We've all learned now what it's like to go on strike. We haven't struck this contract in 43 years. We had thousands of members wake up to the value of their union membership. Because of AI, if you're not working under a union contract, you could be really in danger of your footage being used and sold for AI purposes. So being covered by the union is almost more important than ever in history for our profession. I'm really scared of people doing non-union films that where they don't have an AI rider or protection. Um, we had hundreds of strike captains emerge as leaders who took responsibility to protect our members on the strike lines. We have solidarity with our sister unions, unlike mm -hmm. never before, which is so inspiring. We, we now know these words, IBEW, AFM, IATSE, Teamsters, DGA, WGA, AGMA, AGVA, AFL-CIO. And, and I guess maybe even most importantly, it unified our, our union's leadership, which has been divided politically for so long. And because of Fran's leadership and Duncan's leadership, we were able to all pull in the same direction. And I can proudly say that the entire negotiation process was done with integrity. Everybody did their very best. So again, it's up to the members to decide whether we achieved our very best that they can, uh, you know, that the members can accept. It wasn't enough for me to be able to recommend it to the members in its current state. But I'm very proud of everybody working really hard. And absolutely, without this strike and the sacrifice of everybody involved, we wouldn't even be close to where we are today. So uh, I absolutely honor and respect and appreciate everybody's sacrifice and hard work. And it was worthwhile. 
Sean, thank you so much for joining us. This has been very helpful and I think uh, just illuminating and also bringing forth the point that, you know, um, it's important for members to to go and, and really spend time with this agreement before they're able to, to make their vote. So thank you for joining us. I really, really appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank you. Cheers. It's the Martini. And as an ode to the final shot of the day on set, this is The Martini, a quick and final reflection on this episode. I'm really thinking a lot about uh, the conversation that we had with Sean today um, and also what we learned from the Zoom meeting earlier this week with SAG officials. You know, I think ahead of voting on December 5th or by December 5th, I should say, I think this is really an important time to listen to what the SAG officials are saying, to read through the contract and, you know, try to understand it as much as you possibly can as a layperson, and also talk with uh, fellow members of the union to try to get as much information as possible and try to make the best informed decision as possible. You know, I know it's really hard uh, for SAG members because, listen, people aren't lawyers, they're actors, you know. (laughs) Um, But, you know, I think this is just the time to try to listen and learn as much as possible before making that vote. I know it's difficult, but I think this is, you know, these next few weeks uh, would be a really good time to really just try to hunker down and read, ask as many questions as possible. There will be a few more um, town halls and Q&As with SAG officials. So if you get a chance to attend some of those, that might be a good time to get some of those questions answered as well. And two reminders, there's an in-person informational meeting for Atlanta local members to learn more about the contract coming up at the SAG-AFTRA Atlanta location on November 21st. And a link to that is in the show notes. The deadline to submit your vote is 5 p.m. Pacific on December 5th. Voting is open now, so if you already have your decision, you can vote today. But if not, you have a few more weeks to get that done. And that concludes this week's episode, but we'll be back with more trending news and new interviews with industry insiders next Friday. I'm Jewel Wicker. Thank you for listening. The Boom is a production of WABE. I produced the show along with Kevin Rinker. Additional production and editing from Scotty Crow. WABE's Vice President of Audio. Original music is by Matt Owen. Find more episodes at wabe.org slash theboom and on your favorite listening app. I'm Mark Kendall. And I'm David Perdue. And we're the hosts of What's Good Atlanta, the new weekly comedy podcast from WABE. On What's Good Atlanta, we run down uplifting and unusual headlines from the universe known as Atlanta. And while we may not be journalists, we are comedians, and we'll be breaking down news and breaking down the stories that make you smile. We're just trying to see what's good, Atlanta. Episodes drop Fridays at WABE.org or wherever you get your podcasts. I get mine from a guy named Craig. Shout out to Craig. Mm -hmm. WABE. From WABE Studios, the podcast where they read stories is a new children's storytelling podcast featuring notable Atlantans and performers reading classic and contemporary children's books. Each episode contains a story meant to entertain, inspire, and inform young listeners. No screens required. The podcast where they read stories features adaptations from both chapter books and picture books. Join us at WABE.org slash stories podcast or wherever you listen to podcasts. W-A-B-E.